Our scripture this morning is taken from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. If you're using the Bible in the pews, it's page 1280. I'll give you a few moments to get your Bibles and your electronic devices before we begin sharing. This is definitely verses of love, God's love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right. Well, last week we kicked off a little two-week vision sort of series where we're talking about finding and sharing life. Before we dive into that today, I want to call your attention to this little card in your bulletin. Probably you'll find that your bulletin is, is packed full of information, so uh, hopefully you can sort that out. And uh, anyway, wanted to share with you this uh, friend and family fun day uh, invite card. So. You're invited, of course, but we give you this so that you can invite someone else, hopefully. Uh, and if nothing else, maybe this will remind you to invite someone else. You, you can also use um, our Facebook event page, that kind of thing. And so we will, uh, you'll have opportunities to invite folks. But basically, that's just a day, kind of a back-to-school celebration as the uh, children's ministry team plan for ways that we can uh, have some fun things and opportunities to invite people. Uh, 
families that perhaps need a church home or looking for a church home. And so if you know someone, especially uh, someone with kids, because we'll have snow cones and a bounce house and that kind of thing that day, uh, weather permitting and all that. But uh, so we look forward to, to that fun day. And that'll basically what we'll do is we'll have our church service that day. And then we will let out for, uh, instead of going to circles after the service, we'll have a, a snow cone uh, vendor out there in a, in a bounce house and we'll just kind of stand around and enjoy each other's company and watch the uh, kids bounce around. So <laughs> we'll, uh, uh, we're looking forward to that and as hot as it's been, you know, of course with our luck it'll be 62 that day, but <laughs> it's not looking that way. It's looking like it'll still be plenty hot. So like I said, we're in this series of vision for our church to find life and share life and last week we spent some time talking about uh, what we mean by life and where we find it and that it's found in Jesus and, and that this life is so good, the life that Jesus offers is so good, so rich, that you know, when we talk about what we have to give up to lay hold of it, what we give up pales in comparison to what we gain. This is why Jesus told the stories about a man that went out and found a treasure in a field and he buried it back in the field and went and sold everything he had to buy the field. Or a man who found a pearl and it was so precious that he went and sold everything he had to buy this pearl. And it's, Jesus is saying, look, when you find the life that I'm offering you, this way of life that's so good and so rich, you'll gladly sell off, leave behind all of anything you need to leave behind to lay a hold of this life that I'm offering you. And so we talked last week about where we find that life and that we find it in Him. And we talked about the, some practicalities of how we go about discovering and finding that life in Him. And this week we're going to follow up with that and talk about shared life. Now, Last week, the passage that we spoke from, that we, sh- that we read from uh, our primary passage last week, was Jesus saying some very strange words, hard to understand, hard to hear. It sounded like cannibalism. Uh, Jesus saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then we, of course, we put that in its context where these, this crowd had followed him right after he had fed them loaves and fishes as much as they could eat. And it was this great miracle, and they wanted more. They wanted more miracles, they wanted more signs, they wanted more food. And Jesus said, in, in essence, what he was saying is, is, you don't need more miracles, you don't need more signs, you don't need more food. What you need is me, and the life that I offer, which is found in me. And so take me, take my ways, be with me, abide in me, were, were his words. Abide in me. And of course, eating his flesh, drinking his blood is an obvious allusion to what he would teach us to do with communion. Right? And every time we take communion, we do. We remember Jesus' sacrifice. But it also runs deeper than that. We remember our need to abide in him. And for him to abide in us. We take Jesus in. Just as we need Him for life, more than we need food, our spirits need Jesus. We need the Son of God. We need His Spirit in us to give life where there was death. 
to give peace where there was heartache. And so, the interesting thing about communion is you don't take it by yourself. I mean, maybe you have. It's a lonely experience. <laughs> That's not the way the Lord taught us to take it. We take it together. We take it as his disciples took it in that upper room, gathered together to share a meal. They broke the bread, they took the cup. And in the early church, they continued this practice as the apostles taught what they had been taught, as they passed on what had been passed on to them. And they would gather around with one another and they would break bread and they would take the cup and they would remember together and they would recognize together their need together for Christ to dwell in them. For them to abide in Him and Him to abide in them. And it was something that was a shared experience. Last week, we said that life is found in being with Jesus. It's what abide in me means, right? Live with, live in me and I will live in you. We will live together. Jesus said, if I knock right at the door and if anyone will open the door and let me in, I will sit down with them. I will be with them. I'll do life with them and they will do life with me. Life is found in being with Jesus. And we talked practically last week about how we be with Jesus, how we can be with Jesus, abiding in Him and Him abiding in us. And if you missed that, it's available on our website or in our podcast and it shares practical tips that believers have been following for 2,000 years to abide with Jesus. But though life is found in Jesus, life is experienced in loving one another. And last week we talked about uh, this kind of life, if we had to describe it, we would choose the word that Jesus chose to describe it. Love. And he taught his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. I'm showing you how to do it. Don't love as the world loves. Love as I love. And he redefined love. He defined love in a very particular way. It was not a feeling. It was a decision, right? A decision to seek the good of another even if it costs you. It was something of the will. And Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Now the thing about loving one another is that takes more than one person. You can find life in Jesus. You can learn about the Jesus life. He can grow in your heart uh, things, all that fruit of the Spirit that we talk about. He can teach you how to love. You can have your mind transformed and renewed. and You, be you can become a, a new person. But you can't experience living the life that Jesus offers by yourself. And this has always boggled my mind about like the hermits of old. I don't know if people still do that or not, but there's like monasteries where people set themselves apart from the rest of the world. And then 
in the monasteries there were some who set themselves apart from the monastery. And they would sit in a cave or whatever and they would just be alone with Jesus. And I'm guessing that they found incredible life in Jesus. I just wish they would have shared it with someone. <laughs> I wish they would have shared it with someone because life is found in Jesus, but it is experienced in loving one another. This passage that we read today is all about that. We believe it was written by the Apostle John in the later years of his life to some churches that looked up to him as something of a father in the faith. He may have been the last apostle living, the last of the twelve. The last who had walked with Jesus. We don't know. But he said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. He said, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Jesus gave this command before he left. He told his disciples, this is my command. His one command. Love one another as I have loved you. Good luck doing that on your own. Good luck doing that in the confines of your own home. Love one another. This love then changes us and changes the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to God. We're told that God is love. This is, defines who God is. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. We talked a little bit last week about this. Uh, the way Jesus sometimes describes this life is eternal life. And we talked a little bit last week about how sometimes our mind jumps straight to heaven when we think the words eternal life. And that we equate the two. That a spiritual existence in heaven, in the heavens, is equated with this thing, eternal life, that that is our hope. And yet, eternal is just an adjective to describe the life that Jesus offers. It's, it is by its nature everlasting. It has no beginning and no end. It is e eternal in that sense. Because God is love. And God is eternal. And so when you grow to love like Jesus, what you're doing is you are stepping into this eternal stream the God life, the God way of life. And this is why we have confidence in the day of judgment. Because we are in God, and God is in us when we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we are learning to love as Christ loved, as he taught us to. And so we have confidence. So many great verses in this passage. There is no fear, then, in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Interesting thing, fear. 
especially when you think about it in terms of relationships with people. A lot of times we wouldn't say that we're afraid of someone. Sometimes we think first about emotions like anger or issues like trust issues. But a lot of times anger, hatred, trust issues, discord, these things are rooted in fear. Think about the, the situation in our nation today with the polarization that we see. The, the people that analyze it tell you we've got an anger problem. People are angry. The left is angry at the right. The right is angry at the left. What is that rooted in? If not fear. They're afraid. The left's afraid of what would happen if the right takes power. And the right is afraid of what would happen if the left takes power. And so we live in fear of one another. And that fear manifests itself in a lot of different ways. This happens with people and God. We, we can be afraid of God, of His punishment. We can wonder if we can trust Him. And so distrust grows. Or you end up trying to earn his favor. All the things that oftentimes mess up a person's relationship with God, sometimes that's rooted in fear. Even in a community like a church community, or even in a small group, we can be afraid of what people think of us. Or any number of things that can erode and mess up the culture. Can erode the peace and the joy that could be had in relationship with one another if there was love. And if there's love though, it drives out the fear. It drives out the hatred, the jealousy, the envy. It drives out the distrust and replaces it with unity and holiness with joy and peace. We read on that the reason we can love is because He first loved us. And if we claim to love God but hate a brother or sister, then we're a liar. Hmm. He's given us this command. If you love God, if you would say, yeah, I love God, then we must love one another. And not just in word, I love you, but in actions and in truth. Love is not just a feeling. It's not just something expressed. In fact, if it is only expressed and never acted upon, then it's not Christ-like love at all. Because Christ-like love is an intention for the good of the other, even at your own expense. And that requires something. And Jesus modeled it for us, right? He gave of Himself so willingly. He, he showed us. He demonstrated what it looks like. He, he served so many people 
by example while he was here. Just to drive the point home, he tied a towel around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet as a servant, as a slave would in that day. He said, if you would be great, you must become a servant of all. And then he took up the cross. Love one another. See, life is found in being with Jesus. He's who we learn from. He modeled it for us. He taught us how it works. When we spend time with Jesus in his word and spend time quieting our busy lives, our noisy lives, and spending time with him, then he'll grow a heart in you that is capable of loving more and more like Jesus loves. But to experience that, and to practice that, you've got to have someone to share it with. You've got to have someone to practice with. You can't practice by yourself. So I want to talk to you today as we talk about how this works out practically in our lives. About two ways that we can share life. The life that we find in Jesus. And the first is that we share it with other believers. And the second one, of course, is that we share it with anybody. <laughs> that we're willing to share this life with anyone. And the church has always been ready to take the gospel wherever it needs to go, to share life with unbelievers. And yet sometimes when you hear people talk about uh, what the church ought to be doing, and they'll, they'll talk about the mission of the church, which is true and, and God-given, that we should take you know, that this light wasn't meant to be hidden, right? It was meant to be set up on a hill so that people can see that we were meant to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey Jesus. But sometimes we forget that the overwhelming emphasis of the New Testament from Jesus to his apostles and all the letters that we have, it's overwhelmingly this theme. Love one another. Love everyone, they would say, but especially your brother and sister. Jesus said that the world will know that we are his by the way that we love one another. So the first thing we have to get right before we can even do the mission right is figure out how to love one another, how to share this life with one another as fellow disciples of Jesus. I wish that I could tell you that I have it figured out how we are going to do that. I wish I could say, you know, here's the path forward. This is, you know, do one, two, three, and we'll all be there. I'm actually, I'm actually fairly confused about this one because our society is so different from theirs. From what I've read about ancient cultures, it was so community-driven. It was so social. It had to be for survival. People didn't have homes like we build them today. They had more... It, it, just the, even the, the architectural design was designed for community. Multiple you know, families would add on rooms and they'd have a courtyard, a commons area where life happened. Uh, people had to team up just to make it through life. Because 
I mean, if you just think about it, all the conveniences and the technologies and things that make your life doable today as busy as you get, imagine trying to do that without the conveniences. Cooking without a microwave, washing clothes without a washing machine. Just go down the list. All the things that speed up your daily tasks. How would you do it? What if you had a dozen kids and none of those technologies? What would you do? You'd hope you had a team, is what you'd do. And so they teamed up together. That was the way the culture was back then. And so when Jesus and his apostles talked about how to do this life together, it was about how to do it in a Christ-like way. They were already doing life together. And the command then was to do it correctly. That there's a way of living together that gives life, peace, joy, instead of discord, and drama. So I don't know sometimes what to do in a society where we're pretty individualized. We spend most of our time in our own homes, by ourselves. We don't connect with others that much. And when we do, it's, you know, a sporting event here or, uh, you know, this event over there. Or Sunday morning maybe here. We don't have people over in our homes that often. It's just, it's a different culture. Uh, when we do, sometimes it's online. We, social media gives us this sense of being connected to people that we ought to be more connected to, but can't for whatever reason, space, time, busyness. But is that really doing life together, you know? Is that, is that really sharing love when we just, you know, hit like on a comment. I don't know. There's no easy answers on this one. But here's what I do know. The way we do church, where we come and we sit in rows, there's nothing wrong with it and there's a lot good about it. But it's not, it's not what Jesus had in mind when he talked about sharing life together and loving one another. I know that much. And it's not that effective for making disciples either. Look at Jesus' own ministry. He gathered crowds and sat them in rows and taught them. That was not his primary vehicle for making disciples. That was a circle of 12 or so. He had circles within circles. <laughs> he had groups of followers, probably hundreds of them, they think, that followed him around most everywhere during much of his ministry that were his close network that he spent a lot of more time with. You know, they traveled together. They, it was a large community that traveled around. So he was closely connected to those people. And within that circle, there was a smaller circle of 12. And within that circle of 12, there was a smaller circle of three. And he invested time in these people. And they went out and did ministry in his name. He gave them authority to do all the things that normally just the leader would do, the baptizing, the teaching, even the miracles. And they grew up, these young men and even young women in the group of disciples that followed him around, they grew up and learned to do ministry. And when Jesus left his physical presence and sent his spirit in his place, he sent his spirit to a group 
of people who had been with him, who were familiar with how to share life in Jesus' way. Rows aren't bad. The people of the early church used to go to the temple all the time to worship in a public setting like this, a public worship gathering. But they also spent time all the time in each other's homes, breaking bread, sharing a cup, remembering Jesus, talking about this new way of life, talking about how to do it, loving one another, seeing each other through difficult times, being there for one another, uh, you know, getting on each other's nerves and figuring out how to cope with that the Jesus way. You can't grow in patience without someone bugging you. <laughs> Life is meant to be experienced in loving one another. And like I say, I don't have all the answers for how to do that, but we're trying to figure it out. And our leadership team uh, has been made up of, of Mike Cootie, uh, James Vickery, Carolyn Hogue, and myself. And we've been sitting down and working through this topic of how do we help people learn to grow in their faith? Uh, how do we help people grow as disciples of Jesus? Uh, and, and part of that involves trying to think outside the box a little bit of the way that we typically do ministry. And how do we get people to connect with one another better and to connect with Jesus together? And, and it's not a, you know, no one's written the book on that yet that I'm aware of is how to do that in this culture. But there's ideas and things worth exploring and figuring out what works for us. One thing that we started a little while back because of this recognition was our circles. We changed up the way we did Sunday school quite a bit and uh, made it a little more tried to make it a little more relational where you sit in a circle with people and discuss scripture to try and learn to talk with one another about spiritual things and also to have a group of people that could support you and many of our groups have uh, you know they discuss with one another when they're going through a hard time they pray for one another when something comes up uh, just this last week the joy circle went and met at Kayla's kitchen and did a meal together just because not because it was a special occasion or because the church said you need to do this they did it these are steps in the right direction our, our circles ministry may not be perfect maybe you haven't found the perfect circle for you yet but it's a step in the right direction so maybe you should try another circle this year maybe you should start your own circle this year but it's a good starting place to stretch yourself, to learn to think about spiritual things, to talk about spiritual things with other disciples of Jesus, to have a, a smaller group that you look at face to face and say, how are you doing? What's going on? How can we pray for you this week? We've started something new on Wednesday nights where you come and instead of someone teaching a lesson, we read scripture together. So our adults on Wednesday night, they, they share a common chapter each week and they read that together and they discuss it together. And they try to talk about how they're trying to grow in their faith and, and try to encourage one another in 
growing in their faith. It's a whole different mindset. But I think it looks a lot more like the New Testament mindset where they gathered in, 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 in each other's homes. Don't know what just happened there. They gathered in each other's homes and they broke bread together and they talked about this Jesus life. And, and it wasn't one person coming to deliver a lesson, but people coming and sharing as the Spirit led them to share. And the sharing insights, asking questions, growing together. So we're trying to create something of that environment on Wednesday nights. We have another group like that that a few of us are trying to start uh, for younger adults and kind of a younger demographic. I don't know if you call it a young adult ministry or what, but uh, you know, people in their 30s, 20s, uh, even teens, upper teens are coming uh, to it right now. And so it's a very small group right now, but we're hoping to expand it. And it's not just a ministry of Cypress Street, but a ministry that we think all believers need somewhere to gather with other disciples and do church simply. Just to gather and talk about the words of Jesus, the, word, the teachings of his apostles, and how we apply these in our lives to break bread and take the cup together. If that's something that you'd be interested in, by the way, we're meeting at Johnny's tonight at 6. And you're welcome to join us. I've got an idea. I don't know if it would help anyone, but I might send out a survey just in case. Because I've been trying to think, you know, we have busy lives, busy schedules. When we talk to people about, um, look, you know, would you give up another night? It's just... Hard to come by sometimes, for whatever reason. Young families have you know, umpteen events that their kids are involved on on this night and that night, and there's homework, and there's going to bed and all that. And uh, some of us were just tired <laughs> of going and doing, and uh, it's hard to add something else to your routine and to your schedule. So, I don't know, one idea I've been throwing around is, is what if we did something that was... Uh, more like say three times out of four, three times out of the month, you just got on FaceTime or you know Skype or Google Hangout or whatever one of those video conferencing things and just looked at each other for a minute and talked with each other for a moment. Kind of an online small group that then met face to face once a month. And at least, you know, it may not be perfect, but you know, maybe it'd be better if you could get together face to face every time. But maybe something and some getting together is, is better than no getting together. I don't know. It's an idea. I might send out a survey and just see how many people would be interested in something like that. We've got to keep thinking outside the box. If you have ideas about how we can share life together better in this culture that we find ourselves in today, of how we can be disciples of Jesus together and practice loving one another better, Send them to us, and I'll take them. You can send them to me, and I'll take them to the leadership team, or, or get them to Mike Cootie or Carolyn Hogue or James Vickery, and we'll be sure and talk about them. Because we want to keep searching for how can we get better at this. So we're not only called to find life in Jesus, but to share life together. And of course, that other arena is to share life with non-believers. I believe when we get better at loving one another, we'll be better at loving even our enemies. We'll be better at loving the people that we run into 
at work in different places in our society where we run into people and we'll be able to share the love of Jesus with them because we've been learning together. Our goal at Cypress Street is not just to make converts. We're not simply offering fire insurance or get into heaven free cards. We're offering an eternal way of life. We're offering that, that people, if they want a better life, if they want the kind of life that would be worth living forever, that they can find it in Jesus. And they can experience it in being with other followers of Jesus. I thought about thought about the fruit of the Spirit. The things that we want the Holy Spirit to grow in us. And I thought about sometimes I've made that a very personal thing for me when I if I pray through that list I'll say you know grow these things in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it dawned on me as I was working on this message that you can't experience that fruit in your life apart from sharing it with others. I mean, maybe you could experience joy all by yourself, but kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, love, We can be a people who learn to love by practicing on one another. We can be a people who find joy and share it with one another so that our smiles become contagious and so that no matter what difficult circumstance we go through, we can encourage one another and become a people known for our joy. We can, we can practice peace so that things that would tear apart the normal group of people trying to do life together can't tear us down because we are people who sow peace because His Spirit sows peace in us. We can go down through that list and we can be that kind of people we can become that kind of people if we'll find life in Jesus and practice experiencing it together with one another. So I don't know what you need to do today. I imagine it's different for each one of us. Maybe you need to invite someone over to your house this week. Maybe you need to get coffee with someone Maybe you need to join a circle. Maybe you need to come on Wednesday night. Maybe you need to start your own ministry. You don't have to wait around for our church to think of something and do something and organize something for you to do something and organize something. Ask God today what he would have you do to share life 
In Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for life. And thank you for the church. We confess that we have isolated ourselves in our culture. And a lot of times we fail to, to do life together as we probably should. So Holy Spirit, fill us. Abide in us as we abide in you and as we learn to abide together. Lead us, unite us, so that we can show the world what your love looks like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.